All right. Well, let's go ahead uh, this uh, evening and welcome, I should say, welcome to, to, to our evening service and our continuing study in the book of First John. Uh, we've got, obviously, you know, in the next couple of weeks, uh, some things coming up on our evening services. So um, we'll have, obviously, some different things going on. But, uh, you know, obviously, next week's potluck service. So we've got the the service right after that. And then after that, the ordination with Mike. And then uh, we'll uh, hopefully be getting back into some of those things. But then we're going to be taking a pause uh, from the book of First John for a little bit. Um, as, uh, we go through a couple of things, um, but, uh, uh, I really, tr- I'm gonna try to get some traction going here to, to really get to some of the core stuff. Not trying to run rough shot over it, but, uh, uh, there is a key principle that when we get to 1st John chapter 2, uh, that God really wants us to, to contemplate. And it comes down to the issue of, uh, the commandment of to love one another, and in doing so, we're communicating that we love God, uh, but there is the other desire, the other things that, that, uh, uh, that people love instead that he talks about in verse 15 about the love of the world. And, uh, we were gonna, you know, not probably get that far to this evening, but, uh, uh, one of the things that we begin to, to, dis- to discern in this book is that there's a very big difference between the love that is from God and the love that is from the world. And the love that is from God is that pure love that uh, really truly has an effect in our lives, whereas the love of the world uh, creates a lust. And, uh, um, you know, he, he gets pretty specific about that, talking about those three things in verse 16, about, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that really truly bring people, um, and pull them outside of God's will, pull them outside of doing what God wants them to do. And if you will, it creates a conflict and, if you will, an anti-Christ mentality. So we're, we're gonna take a look at tonight, uh, try to get into, uh, uh, verse five, where we left off last week, uh, get a little bit more, like I said, get, try to get some more traction so we can kind of get to, through this chapter a little bit quicker. We've been, uh, kind of establishing these principles. So we need to kind of move on a little bit more, uh, through this to, to really get to that, that point of the theme of the book. But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get started tonight and, uh, get right into this. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you again for the time that we have uh, this evening to study your word. I thank you again for the book of 1 John, which teaches us about the subject of love. And uh, again, Lord, where that source is, and that it is from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, give us all a clarity of mind this evening, uh, that we would be able to understand the principles that are being taught to us, that we would understand uh, what it is that you give us uh, so freely, and again, Lord, how you desire it to be reflected in our lives as we love one another and uh, what that means and uh, how how it works in our lives and what it produces. And I pray, Lord, that we would just uh, clearly set aside those things of the world this uh, evening, that we would desire to receive more instruction from you with the right heart, the right uh, motive, Lord, to grow in you and to please you and honor you, 
because of what you've done for us and demonstrating that love first. Pray you'd just be with me and speak through me to this evening that all that is said and done would be honoring and pleasing to you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in second John, or excuse me, first John chapter two, uh, we got through the part about keeping the commandments and we begin to realize that keeping commandments is part of that love. Because if we love God, we're going to love what he tells us. We're going to love what he tells us to do. We're going to have a desire to be obedient. We're going to have a desire to guard it, to protect it, to, to make sure it is not influenced by the things and the cares of this world. But as we get to verse 5, it, we, we, we again, we, we, we see him beginning to introduce this topic of love, where he says, but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby we know that we are in him. So we started talking about this a little bit last week, about that, that concept, but again, what I want to really truly emphasize is this, is that we know that nothing is going to separate us, as I've said again, from the love of God, according to Romans chapter 8. And there takes a a, a great deal of assurance from Scripture to get us to understand that we are not going to lose our salvation. And praise God for that, because we would have all lost it a long time ago. Um, uh, and, and, and what we begin to understand is this, that the more that we exercise that love that he has given to us to demonstrate, the more assurance we are going to have that we are truly children of God. The, it, 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 there's, a, there's a direct correlation between the obedience and the keeping of God's commandments and knowing that I have a home in heaven and that my sins are forgiven. If I am not keeping what God tells me to do, I am going to struggle with that assurance. I'm going to struggle knowing that I am saved. I'm going to question it. The devil is going to use it, if you will, to beat me up, to accuse me. Well, you're not really saved. You're not, you know, you're not really a Christian. You're not really living for the Lord. You're, those are the things that the devil will use. And in turn, the devil gives to the world to use against us. And often is the case, we take it and we use it against ourselves. God forbid we ever use it against each other. But the idea and the concept is, is that we have an, if you will, a surety and assurance that we are trusting Christ as our Savior and have a secured salvation and a secured eternal life. That becomes very critical for us to understand because he says in this book, specifically in chapter 5, these things were written that we may know that we have eternal life. Not hope, not uh, 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 try to keep it, or anything of that nature. And it is, it's, it's, it's kind of a little ridiculous for us to sit there and think, well, Jesus Christ saved us, but I have to do the, the keeping of it, and I'm going to be the one that's going to either uh, keep it or not keep it and lose it. So God can give it to us, but he can't keep it. He can't preserve it. And as we saw this morning, that's not the way God operates. God does the preservation part. God's the one that keeps those things in guards, as we saw over in Proverbs chapter 2. There's a, there's a principle. We do this, God does this. 
we obey God and we do these things, you know what God's going to do? God's going to continue to give us that assurance. Where he's going to continue to say and communicate with us and speak with us and teach us and guide us and use his Holy Spirit to to, uh, uh, do those things so that we have this understanding of, hey, I am a child of God. I am one of his. But the idea and the concept is, hey, I got to act like it. I got to actually truly act like I am trusting Christ as my savior. Because as we get to this next part here in, in, uh, in, uh, verse six, as we kind of continue on here, he says this, he says that he that saith, he abideth in him, talking about abiding in Christ, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. So let's look, look at this concept here just for a minute. And this, this really truly is an important uh, one for us, a principle to understand. Because our Christian life is compared to a walk. How we walk. Now look, different people have a different, uh, uh, if you will, gait and, and people are, 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 can be uh, identified by how they walk and, you know, whether a person's walking with a limp or anything of that nature. God's not talking about that, but he's talking about the walk, about which path are we on? What is our direction? What is our heading? Where are we going? And a lot of times that is a big question that, that, that mankind asks. If you were to ask a bunch of people on the street, where, where are you going? They might say, well, I'm trying to go to the bank, or I'm going to the post office, or I'm going to the grocery store. And you go, no, 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 no. Where are you going? What is your direction in life? A lot of people wouldn't be able to answer that. Now, if you were to ask them where they're going to go when they die, there you're talking about it, you use that often as a lead into to witnessing to somebody. But if you're just asking the question, well, what's your direction in this life? People, people are going to have a hard time saying that because they really, truly don't know. And I, even Christians don't know. You ask a young person today, uh, uh, well, what's your direction in life? And they're thinking career oriented. They're thinking about where they're going to live when they move out of their parents' house. They're thinking about, uh, um, uh, you know, who they're going to marry. They're, they're thinking about those type of things. They're not necessarily thinking, am I on God's path? Am I walking in his will or am I walking opposite or contrary to him? Am I outside of that? And here he's saying, look, if we're going to say that we are in him, that we're abiding in him, that's, that, that, that's where our habitation, that's where we truly uh, uh, are, then there's something we need to understand. He says that's there's a walk that God says we ought to have. There's a walk that we ought to have. Uh, take a look at Romans chapter 6. Let's take a look at a couple of passages in this, uh, in relationship to this. Uh, I don't know if we'll get to through all of them. There's quite a few that, uh, Paul uses this analogy of walking, um, and walking with the Lord in Romans chapter six. And it says here in verse four, it says, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Now he's not talking about water baptism in this case. He's talking about, uh, baptism, uh, into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. He says that like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also 
should walk in newness of life. Now, we do say that when we baptize people in water. Because, again, that is a picture of what has happened in the life of the believer. It's a, if you will, an open testimony and witness to which we should be obedient. We should be willing to say, I'm willing to get wet just to say, hey, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. But here we find, he says, that this walk should represent a newness of life. We should be on a different path than what the world is on. The world is on a path of destruction. The world, the world is, is going, uh, you know, a hundred miles an hour down a road in the dark with no lights on and there's curves ahead and they're not slowing down. They're on a path of destruction. We're on a path that is lit, that has light, that, that has guides, that has helps. That will, that will have us arrive, if you will, safely. When we look at what God's talking about here, He's saying, look, we should have a, 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 a walk that represents that. As He says, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. We should realize that we've trusted Christ as our Savior. I should not want to walk in the same places that I used to walk before. I should not want to walk in sin. I should not want to walk in destruction. I should not want to walk in darkness. I should not want to walk in the things uh, that the, the, the psalmist talks about in Psalm chapter 1. I should want to avoid those. So we begin to understand, God says, here's, here, here's how I want you to walk. This is an ought, this is a should that we see here. Take a look at another passage over in chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 1 of the book of Romans, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We can no longer be condemned for our sins. Thank God for that. Our sins are paid for. He was, as it says, our propitiation. He, he, uh, he's appeased that at this point. So we don't have to worry about it. We have forgiveness of sins. But look at this. This is what he says we're supposed to do. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. We should be in pursuit of something. The world pursues fleshly pleasure. They pursue what they want to pursue. They pursue what delights them. They pursue what they enjoy. As a believer, we should pursue what brings glory to God. That's why we pursue the Spirit. That's why we walk after the Spirit. Because what is the whole purpose behind the Holy Spirit and what he did and what he does? Jesus Christ pointed out one of the key things that he does is he brings glory to the Lord. His spirit brings glory to himself. It makes it very clear that this is the the purpose behind what the Holy Spirit does. That's one of his chief tasks. Not only is he a comforter, not only is he a teacher, not only is he a convictor, but he is somebody that comes along and brings glory to the Lord. He points to Christ, points to him as the, as the way of salvation. 
And we begin to understand that this is, again, why he says we should be walking after the Spirit. Because those are, again, things that we as believers need to make sure we're doing in our life. Hence, we have the fruit of the Spirit, which, again, we're supposed to be walking after and pursuing. Take a look at verse 4 of the same chapter. He says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk again, here we are, walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So twice in the same chapter, in four verses, Paul is saying there is something we're supposed to walk after. We're following. And that leading and that following is through the Holy Spirit, using his word to guide us, direct us, and teach us. And And, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Some people have this way horrible misunderstanding of of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does and what the filling of the Holy Spirit's about. And and I've seen some things that that have said, you know, if uh, if uh, if you're led to um, uh, jump up and down and scream and yell and roll on the floor, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's ADHD. Because again, that's not necessarily how the spirit wants us to behave. Now there's nothing wrong with, you know, lifting up our hands in praise to God. There is nothing with shouting amen. There's nothing wrong with getting excited about the things of God and, and, and revealing that and having happiness in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't walk around like we just sucked on a bag of lemons. We need to make sure that we're demonstrating the joy of the Lord and the happiness that we find in him. But at the same time, there is a certain way that we are to walk after him. There's a certain pattern that he has. There's a certain pathway that he has. Take a look at chapter 13 of the book of Romans, where Paul, uh, you know, he, he addresses this in, in verse 13. Here he talks about how this path is that, if you will, that Jesus Christ walked in. Jesus Christ was very much led of the Spirit, as we see. We see him being led of the Spirit into the wilderness, uh, very specifically. And we find him, you know, in other areas being led to do certain things as human in that case. But what we find here is we find honestly. In verse 13 of chapter 13, he says, let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. So there's a way that he wants us to walk, and that is honestly. Honestly. It's hard to find honest people nowadays. It's hard to find people that that are going to do the right thing. As I've said before, you know, one of the things that just really would, you know, back when we actually used to pay cash for things or, you know, things of that nature, uh, you, you go to the grocery store, they give you the wrong change, and you go, oh, you gave me too much. And you hand them back the 10 that they, they gave you or the 20 that they gave you that they shouldn't have. And they're just surprised. Because why? What happens? People will take that and they will run and they'll go, hey, look. I got something. No, you stole it. Whether they gave it to you or not, that's near, that's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. 
And we've always taught our, you know, we taught our girls. That's not something that you sit there and go, that's a blessing from God. That's God blessing you. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I know Christians that have said that. You know, that extra 20 that you get from the cashier, that, well, that's just a blessing of God. No, it's not. That's not yours. Give it back. I don't want that thing in my pocket. That's a curse. Get rid of it. That's not, that's not ours. Like I said, I've been in, in, in the lines and I've been, you know, you, you watch the prices on the thing and, and there's stuff that rings up and I'll be like, yeah, I, I thought that, uh, that ring up is $4.99. I'm pretty sure the sign back there said $9.99. You're like, wait a second, what? No, I'm pretty sure that price is supposed to be $9.99, not $4.99. And they're like, wait, you want me to charge you more? That's what your sticker said. They go back, go back and do a price check and they go, oh yeah, it's wrong on the computer. Somebody, you know, somebody was dyslexic and got their fours and nines mixed up, I guess. And, 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 and they're like, how many, how many of these did we sell before we, you know, realized this? Somebody points it out and they're like, well, no, you know, no, we're going to charge you 499 because that's what it rang up as. And it's like, look, I'm willing to pay the right price because that's what the tag said and that's what I purchased it for. You know, a lot of people won't say anything. They'll just keep their mouth shut. And they'll say, well, I guess I just pocketed $5. You got to be careful with that. God doesn't bless that type of stuff. We got to be careful. And he says, let us walk honestly as in the day. A lot of people try to hide stuff when they walk in the dark. And we see as we get over to First John chapter 2 that we've got a choice. We're either going to walk in the light and the love of the Lord and do what he wants us to do, or we're going to walk in darkness and we're going to be a liar and we're going to be, if you will, anti-Christ. So we have a choice. We've got to make a decision about where we're going to walk. And how we're going to walk. Let's take a look at another couple of passages. There's there, there, there's a ton of them throughout Scripture. There's a bunch of them in Ephesians. And I would encourage you to read the book of Ephesians and go through and underline every single instance where he talks about walking in there. And that, that, that book is filled. But let's turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Sorry, 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians. I'll get it right here. 2 Corinthians, I was like looking at that verse going, I have no idea why I selected that one. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and here he says in verse 7, in this parenthetical, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You know what that means? When we understand what the definition of faith is really about, we walk by the fact that we believe what God told us and we are willing to obey it, regardless of what the outcome is. Abraham wasn't going to see the fulfillment of that prophecy. But he still had faith that God would do that. And so did Jacob. And before him was Isaac. They all had if you will, faith in the promises of God, that God was going to be the one that did that. And that's what we walk by. 
We walk by understanding what the Word of God says, as we were talking about this morning. If I get, you know, if I go for the wisdom the way that God tells me to get that wisdom, to seek after that wisdom, to pray for the wisdom, to cry for the wisdom, to, 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 to truly, you know, search after it the way that God tells me to in my life, then he's going to do these things on my behalf. You know, that takes faith to do that. It takes faith to believe what is said right there in those passages of what he said he's going to do for us. So therefore, you know what, I'm going to believe that he that's true, that he's promised that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to follow through what verses 1 through 4 says in Proverbs chapter 2. I'm going to seek for wisdom. That's going to be my what I'm going for. Let's take a look at one more passage. Let's go over to the book of Galatians. As I said, there's multiple passages in the book of Ephesians, and uh, uh, time is going to escape us if we go through all of them. But I encourage you to read through those. But in Galatians chapter 5, he mentions it twice in this passage. Uh, again, in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, uh, he says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, this is important because we know exactly what John just is going to talk about as we kind of got that preview in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2, where he talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what we call loving the world. And here he says, look, to avoid those things, what you have to do is you have to earnestly walk after the Spirit. Pursue. Take a look at verse 25, after he goes through and he talks about what the fruit of the Spirit is and, and uh, um, uh, uh, what happens, he says very clearly in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And if there's one thing that I know is that our life is because of the Spirit of God. He's the one that, that, that when you go through Scripture, we see, we see that he is the one, well, the, you know, the, the, the Jesus Christ um, has paid for it, and while Jesus Christ is the one that gives the eternal life, we find the, the work of the Holy Spirit in us doing those things to demonstrate to us, if you will, baptizing him, uh, us in him, all of these things that the Spirit does, and that life that we now have is because of Jesus Christ, but through the enabling of the Spirit, that's what we need to understand. That's why it's important that we pursue after what the Spirit says, what the Spirit guides us, what the Spirit teaches us. Because if we don't, then we are going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And he says, this is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to walk. You walk in the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, you have to walk by the Spirit. So we go back over to to 1 John chapter 2, and in verse 6, he says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk. And what is that? And how is that we're supposed to walk? As he's talked about previously. As he says, we're going to keep his commandments. If we say we know him, we're going to keep his commandments. Our love of God is going to be, the love of God is going to be perfected because we keep his word. We're going to know, we're going to have that assurance, we're going to have all of those things that we truly get from the Holy Spirit 
Why? Because we are actively walking the same way that he did. Therein is the pattern set forth for us of how we should behave. But as we continue on in verse 7, he begins to talk about something here, and this is the commandment issue. And here it comes. And he divides it up into two ways. He talks about the old part of the commandment, and then he talks about the new part of the commandment. So let's take a look here in his, in his passage in verse 7. He says, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. It sounds somewhat repetitive, but necessary for us to understand. This is not something new. This has been God's expectation from the very beginning. We find it as a pattern throughout the Old Testament. We find a pattern in the Mosaic Law. We find a pattern that even goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. We find a pattern of loving one another. That's God's expectation of us. It's not something that is old. Or excuse me, something that is new. It's not something that is, that we should be sitting there and going, oh wow, this is a new revelation. Oh, I mean, I'm supposed to treat, you know, uh, fellow believers as, you know, with love and care and compassion. That's not a new thing. This is something that he's telling these believers, which are Jewish in nature, very clearly, hey, look, you know that this is something that has been taught before. You've read the law, you've heard the law, you've heard what the priests and the Levites have said about the law, and you understand what God talks about with love and all of these things about loving him and loving our neighbor, as Jesus Christ reiterated, because they asked him, what is their greatest law? And he said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. And he says, and the second is like unto the first, love thy neighbor as thyself. And he says, all the commandments hang on those. That's the foundational principle. So John's reiterating this, saying, hey, look, let's go back to the beginning. Essentially, this is nothing new. You should know this. This is something that should be very clear. You know, it's the same instructions God has given to his people for a very long time. But he points out a new part of the commandment. Who points out some things that happen when that commandment isn't fulfilled? When that commandment is not kept? When obedience is not done? Take a look here, you know, in, in, in verse, uh, in verse eight, he says again, a new commandment I write unto you. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. And here he is talking about, here's, here's the evidence of this. Here's, here's the path that God wants us to walk on. Here's the truth of the matter. If we say we love God, there is going to be a very direct action that shows it. We cannot go with this, I love the Lord, and then live 
however we want. I can't say I love God and turn around to a brother and sister in Christ and say, I hate you. I cannot harbor bitterness against them. I cannot hold a grudge against them. I cannot be unforgiving. I cannot be that kind of a person that the world does today. What's really sad is I I find sometimes that the world is a little more forgiving than Christians are. Which is sad considering how much we've been forgiven. Let me just think about it. How many sins have we been forgiven in the past week? And you're like, well, let's not talk about that. Okay, then let's talk about last month. We're in a new month. I, you know, February, and we, we had a break. We had, you know, one to two days less than normal. Yeah, we had a leap year, so we got an extra day in there. But, you know, 28, 29 days, it's the shortest month. Let's just talk about the sins we committed during that month. God forgives those. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We believe that. We hold that promise true. But we gotta do something. We gotta confess it. We gotta make it right. It's not just like assuming, well, God, God knows me and he's gonna, you know, oh, 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 look at there's Ken Stewart again. Oh, he's being a dummy. Oh, well. No, 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 no. It's not how it works. I gotta go to the Lord in contrition with conviction, and say, I sinned. Lord, how do I make this right? Show me where the problem is in my heart. I want to get it fixed. That's the stuff that he honors. That's the stuff that pleases him. Not lip service. Lip service has never pleased God. Go through the Old Testament and go through the Gospels. You'll find very clearly, lip service never pleased God in any way, shape, or form. Because it's hollow. It's shallow. It's fake. It's feigned. It's not real. God doesn't like it. It's it's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is, if you will, the spirit of the age. We live in an age of pharisaicalism. I, look, it really honestly does not matter which side of the argument you're on. Whether you're liberal or whether you're conservative, whether you're Democrat, whether you're Republican, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter. We got hypocrites on both sides. Let's, let's, let's just get down to that. And you know what? We don't need more Republican. We don't need more Democrat. We don't need more conservative and we don't need more liberal. We need more of the Word of God. We need Jesus is what we need. That's who we should be voting for. <laughs> but I understand what we have, the government that we have, and I'm thankful for where I am. And I will continue to have that influence and try to do what I can do, you know, even in the smallest form and, you know, little governments that we have here in city and so on and so forth for the purpose of Jesus Christ being glorified till he comes back and then he rules and reigns. And then I won't be talking about, hey, hey, do you know who Jesus is? Everybody's going to know who Jesus is. The Bible even says that. 
There isn't going to be anybody that does not know who Jesus Christ is. Everybody's going to know. That's Jesus on the throne. Well, who's in charge? Jesus. Well, I thought it was the mayor. No, it's Jesus. Well, I thought it was the governor. No, it's Jesus. Well, isn't it the president? No, it's Jesus. <laughs> Let's just get that straight. He's the ruler and he reigns supreme. But here we are looking at this and he's saying, look, you know, this is a new part to it that we begin to realize the consequences of what happens when we don't do this. And here's where the emphasis starts to come in about loving one another. And again, it's not something that is new. It's not something that, that just seems to have cropped up brand new. This isn't something that, that, that John has just come up with with some sort of new thing. But at the same time, it's new in the form of, hey, let's take a look at what happens when we don't. When we don't do these things, when we don't love the way that we're supposed to, we are directly opposing an opposite of Christ. We are, uh, we ourselves are a liar. We can, you know, try to make God a liar, but he's not going to be. He's going to remain true. But here's, here's what's going to happen is we're going to be against him. And that is an anti-Christ mentality. And if there's one thing that I know, antichrist mentality is not what God wills for our life. In verse 9, he says this, He that saith he is in the light, as he says, here's the true light that shineth, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even unto now. He points out here's the issue. Here's the problem. We know that there's a true light that shines. That light is Jesus Christ. Go back over to John chapter 1, as we've talked about, that light that he is referencing, as we've seen throughout the you know, previous verses and passage and chapter, is all, it's Jesus Christ. He is the light. He is the light of the world. It's him. We have to understand that. He's the word of God. And the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path we begin to realize the importance behind what he says and what he wants us to do. But what we find here is he says, look, if somebody says, hey, I know God, but does something opposite, that person's called a liar. Here he's saying, look, hey, if I say I'm in Jesus Christ, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm part of that family, but man alive, I hate that guy over there. That guy is blind as a bat. He has no light in his life. The word of God has no effect. If the word of God is a lamp and a light, and he's saying here, somebody that has a duplicity in their nature, in their heart, where they say one thing and do something different, the end result is is that person is going to be blinded. They're going to be in darkness. They are not going to see the light. They're not going to see the light of the word of God. They're not going to see the light of what Jesus Christ has done. They're not going to see the light that reveals their sin. They're going to only be in that darkness. And again, trying to drive around in, in you know, it, 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 w- without lights is it, it, just an insane thing to do. It's moronic. I remember when when I would drive the freeways and I would drive very early in the mornings and uh, you, you get on some of the freeways and not even the truckers are out yet. 
And you look in the rear view mirror, in your side view mirror, and all you see is blackness. All you see is dark. You're on a road that has no street lamps. You're on a highway that is in a dark area where there are no exit signs or anything of that nature. And you're driving through one of those areas and you look back and it is just pure black dark. That is a creepy feeling. It's really creepy. And you're driving along and you realize that you're only, you're the only lights on the road. And if you were to turn your lights off, you would have no idea what's coming around the corner. You wouldn't even know the corner is there. It's that dark. Here's the problem. When we are operating in a way where we're saying we are a Christian, we're a believer, but we're doing exactly the opposite of what God tells us that we're supposed to do, we have blinded ourselves. We've put on the blindfold. We have tied it. We're the ones that are at fault. Because we've chosen to be that way. We've made that decision. He says right here, he says, look, here, here, here it comes. He that hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. And it takes a change in the heart to correct it, to get back into that light. Because look at what he says here, verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Have you ever stumbled in the dark? Whether it's the dog that puts a toy where it's not supposed to be and you didn't see it, and you walk in the dark and you're trying to find your way, whether you're getting a glass of water, whether you're using the restroom, whatever it is, you get up in the middle of the night and it's pitch black dark. We've got all sorts of night lights and things all around our house that are motion censored and things like that. Why? Because, you know, we, we, we don't want to trip and stumble and fall. Falls are not, they're, they're not the greatest thing. And the more aged you get, the worse those become. And the more dangerous they become. For me, that's one of the biggest things. They're like, have you fallen? They're always asking. Every time the home care nurse, you know, have you fallen? I'm like, you came close a couple of times. There's one time they did, they, they wrote it down that I did fall. And what was it? I slipped on the step and I went down two or three steps, but I braced myself. I was able to lean into on one way and, you know, use my rib cage to up against the, 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 uh, the banister there to, to, to make sure I didn't fall. I'm like, well, I didn't fall. I didn't fall. They're like, no, you fell. <laughs> you know what that was? That was an occasion for stumbling. It was an occasion for stumbling. We stumble in the night. We stumble in the dark. It's dangerous to walk around without light. And here he says, look, if we can just get the concept through our head that I need to love one another and love people regardless of whatever it is they're doing, hey, I'm going to get it. I'm going to have light in my life. 
I'm not going to be purposefully hindering my walk. You think about that. Jesus Christ knew with every single person he had contact with, he knew exactly who they were. In Mark, he read the hearts of the Pharisees and those that were around when he asked, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day with the guy with the withered arm, the withered hand? And he said, is it lawful, is it lawful or unlawful? And they wouldn't answer. And he looked on them in anger because of the hardness of their hearts. He could see it. He knew exactly what was up with the woman at the well. He knew exactly what Nicodemus knew and didn't know. He also knew what he was taught and what he failed to to grasp. He knew exactly that Zacchaeus was up in a tree when he walked by. He knew exactly what the woman caught in adultery needed. And I tell you, when the light of the word of God is in our lives, we will begin to see opportunities to show and demonstrate what God has done for us and the love that he has had for us. There is no greater comfort than sitting down with a believer and having them share with you what God has been doing in their life. Because it shows that God has not limited his grace to you. Elijah kind of got caught up in that mentality. I and I alone. No, no, Elijah, there's still seven other, 7,000 other guys over there. You just haven't met their acquaintance yet. But God was doing stuff in their life too. Just like God was doing stuff in Elijah's life. Now it may not have been the big miracles that Elijah was performing. But because they had not bowed the knee to Baal and they were still pledging, if you will, their allegiance to God, God was still working with them. So the same thing is true as we see, we see here. We cause our own stumbling when we choose to not obey what God tells us. And here he's pointing out this new part of the commandment which often people don't realize. Let's take a look at the old part of the commandment. Go over to the book of John. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Here is Jesus Christ talking to his disciples. John chapter 13. John chapter 13 um, is the area where, where, where... Jesus uh, washes the, the feet. Um, there's a big thing being made about that right now, about that whole uh, he gets us movement. 
Uh, I'll just tell you this, uh, that, that whole thing, that, that whole he gets us movement creeps me out. Because I went through and I searched their entire website and I searched high and I searched low and not one place did they ever talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They kind of mentioned and they said, yes, we believe Jesus Christ was here on earth. Yes, we believe he's God. Yes, we believe he died. And yes, we believe he rose again. And <laughs> and what else? I mean, you, what's the reason that he... That he did that. Well, he understands the human condition. Don't get me wrong. But I'll tell you this. He doesn't accept the sin. As a matter of fact, as God says, he resists the proud. And a person that refuses to come to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins is filled with pride is filled with pride. God resists that person. His love still extends to him. He still wants them. But they, well, they got to throw that pride aside and they have to say, Lord, I have sinned against you and you only. As David said, need to humble themselves. So anyways, moving off on that point, uh, it's a bit of a dangerous movement is what I'm getting at. Careful with that one. But in uh, John chapter 13, and I want us to jump down here uh, to verse uh, 34. Here he is talking to them uh, at the Last Supper. And he says in verse 34, he says, New commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye love one another. He's telling the disciples, you guys got to learn to love each other. Now, if there was a group of guys that had a tough time getting along, it would be the disciples. Well, why do we know that? Because they got into a few disagreements. They got into a few uh, verbal scuffles. Remember the whole thing where they began arguing about who's going to sit on the right hand, God? Because James and John's mother thought that they should be. And everyone else was taking a little bit of offense to it. And Peter's like, hey, what am I, chopped liver? You know, there was a bit of a dis- you know dispute amongst them. And then they start fighting. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, Jesus Christ is about ready to be crucified and betrayed and all of these things. And you guys are fighting over the position. Okay, whatever. Sometimes you just look at them and go, man, they were so obtuse. So are we. So are we. I mean, let's just be honest. We are too. But he says this is the new commandment that he gives to him. He says that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Because look at what he says here in verse 35. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the reasons that people have a hard time discerning what a real Christian is is because there's too many wars and fightings amongst ourselves. I mean, yeah, we, we, we've got all sorts of, if you will, congregations out there and things of that and so on and so forth based on what people believe and so on. But, but look, let's just get down to the nitty gritty. It, it, it's about the Bible and what the Bible says. And if we we cut away all the traditions of man and we get rid of all of the teachings of man and get rid of all the heresies and the false doctrines, 
we get down to the fact that, that sinners need a savior and his name is Jesus Christ and he came to die on the cross for our sins and rise again so that we will have eternal life. And all we have to do is believe on Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's that simple. Man, we can't even agree on that. People are like, well, that's not the way to lead somebody to the Lord. No, you have to use the Romans road. No, you have to use John 3.16. No, 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 no. You got to do it straight out of Ephesians. Then you got the guy over there. No, you got to do it out of Hebrews. You're like, what? Who are you? (laughs) But you, you... People just argue and fight. You know, we we do so much, if you will, to shame the name of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. But here he says, people will know you're my disciples if you just simply love one another. Take a look at what he says in another passage over in the book of Romans. Or, uh, excuse me, uh, listen to uh, John chapter 15 and verse, uh, verse 12 here. Take a look at a couple of these passages. And he says again, this is my commandment. John fifteen twelve that you love one another as I have loved you. Now he sets the standard. He says, here's the new commandment. Here's what I'm going to tell you. This is what you need to do. You need to love one another. People are going to know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And by the way, here's how I want you to love one another as I have loved you. I want you to think about that. We have a hard time sometimes being around one individual that is difficult to deal with. Could you imagine being around 12 of them and one of them being a devil? Yet God continued to demonstrate his love towards them? No wonder John's saying, we blind ourselves when we fail to love the way God loves. And if we're going to walk, we're going to walk as he walked. We're going to love as he loved. Verse 17, these things I write unto you that you love one another. Excuse me, these things I command you, I'm sorry, that you love one another. Command. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is given as a commandment. It's something that has to be done. It's an action. That's what God expects of us. Let's turn to Romans now. And Romans, uh, oh, let's go over to Romans chapter 12, my favorite chapter. I haven't been there in a little while, been refraining. Romans chapter 12. <laughs> Here we're talking about that transformed thinking, if you will. The renewed mind. And here's part of that renewed mind. And I will say this, a person that is uh, um, not trusting Christ as their Savior is often a very selfish person. They generally only think about themselves and what benefits them. You're like, well, that's not always the case. You know, I see people out there that are trying to do good and they're trying to do good for others and so on and so forth. But generally the reason they're doing that is they're trying to get rid of some sort of conviction or something that's inside of them that, that, that compels them to do that. Because it makes them feel uncomfortable or it makes them think that they're a good person 
or whatever it is. But there is an ulterior motive behind it that God points out is often self-centered. They're not doing it for the Lord because they don't know the Lord. And we read earlier that everything that we're supposed to do, we're supposed to do as unto the Lord. We read that over there in Colossians this morning in Sunday school. The world doesn't do that. The world doesn't do anything for the Lord. They do it for themselves. They do it for gratification of themselves. But here in this chapter, in, in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 10, he says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. We begin to see, you know, the foundation of charity right there. He says, be kind, be kindly affectioned one to another. And there's that word affectioned again. There's something there that we're supposed to be demonstrating. The effect of the love of God in our life. And it's supposed to be done in a kindly manner. It's really hard to walk up to somebody and say, I love you, and then just smack them as hard as you can. It sends the wrong message. Well, I did that in brotherly love. That's not kind. There's a way that God desires us to do it. And he says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Familial. Not casual, but familiar as in familiar, as in I know these people, as in I care about these people, as in we're related because of the shed blood of Christ. We're we're together as children. We're sons. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're brought together because of him. And he says, in honoring, preferring one another. we begin to see what love causes us to do. Love will put yourself on the back burner. Love is about putting somebody else before you. We find that in charity. And we find that in the commandments of love. As we see here. These are all commandments that the Lord has given to us that that John is reminding us about, if you will. Take a look at another passage over in chapter 13 of the book of Romans, chapter 13 and verse 8. There's that verse. Everybody always takes out of context. Owe no man anything. And they say you should never go into debt. There's more to the verse. And I'll tell you this. People often get so concerned about owing money to a bank for a car or for a loan or for a house or something like that. And they overlook what God's talking about here. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth one another hath fulfilled the law. Oh. And I'll tell you this, there's a lot of people walking around owing a love debt. And they haven't loved one another. 
You haven't demonstrated that love one to another. God says, that's owed. That's owed to that person. Just think about that concept for just a little bit. Owing love. We like to think of love as something that is uh, ours. The way we choose to love. I've got my love language. This is the way I want to be loved. Before we even start making any of those kind of demands, how about we do this? How about we ask, how can I demonstrate love to that person? Because I owe it to them. Because I owe it to God because he loved me first. And if he's given me so much love, I need to make sure I spread that around to everyone. That I give that freely. This is this verse isn't talking about money. This verse is talking about love. We've got to understand that. Take a look at one more passage and we'll be done for the evening. Let's go over to the book of Galatians. <clears throat> Galatians. <clears throat> and uh We're going to go back to where we were, previous Galatians chapter 5. People say, well, I got liberty. I got liberty in Christ. I can do this. I can do that. God says, no, your liberty has restrictions. Because in order for liberty to be liberty, there must be boundaries. And very clearly, God talks about the boundaries that are here. And here's one of them. In verse 13, he says, For brethren, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. People are like, oh, there we go. We've got our American rights. Hold on a second. Only use not liberty for the occasion to the flesh. It's not a carnal thing. Love is very much a spiritual thing. The world makes it carnal. The world is the one that says lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. The world is the one that makes it according to the flesh. And he says that's not what we're supposed to be having our liberty unto. What does he say right here? He says... Not only uh, use only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. A person does not serve in a church in the body of Christ because they are compelled or complying. They do it because they truly love those that they are serving. The Bible says, hey, servants, just as a reminder, whoever you're serving, you're serving the Lord. And if we say we love the Lord and we're going to serve, we're going to serve as the way we love the Lord. And that's going to be demonstrated to those that we do serve. We serve the Lord by serving each other. 
And here he says very clearly, he says, don't use it for an occasion for the flesh. Don't use it for your glory. Don't use it in such a way that you, you are the one that's, that's lauded or anything of that nature. He says, look, that's not what your liberty is for. Your liberty, your liberty is in love. You get to show as much love as you possibly can. There's no restriction on that. You can be very liberal in your demonstration of love towards people. Don't hold back. Don't be conservative in that. Be liberal in it. And what does he say? But by love, serve one another. The liberty is tied directly to service. We also have liberty to serve as much as we want. There is no restriction on how much we can serve. God doesn't put a limit. God just says, hey, look, you know, you, I'm sorry, you're limited. You already served once this week. You can't serve again. <clears throat> you served on Sunday. That's it. No more. No, you can do that every single day of the week, multiple times a day. Why? Because it's love that becomes the motivating factor. And when we don't use that, we stumble in darkness. But somebody that is in the light is somebody that understands that concept of loving one another. And we'll pick up a little bit more on this next week. I was hoping to get a few more verses in, but, you know, praise the Lord, we got this far. We got down to uh, at least verse uh, verse 10, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that love because that is... Again, one of the central themes of this book and what, what, what God's trying to communicate to us as believers. Why? Again, because it shows the world who we really truly are following. And it's either we're following ourselves, we're following some man, some woman, some whatever, or we're following Jesus Christ. We get that choice. But we can't say we're serving Jesus, loving Jesus, and do completely the opposite. That's, that's what the Antichrist does. You know what he's going to come in? He's going to come in as a man of peace. Yeah. He's going to try to fool people. And for about three and a half years, he's going to get them all there, and he's going to get them all together, and get them all... Even when all the bad stuff's happening, it's like, oh, come on, let's all band together. Let's kind of, we'll get together, we'll do this. And then he reveals really truly what he's all about. And then it really gets bad. And that's when, you know, Jesus points out to, to the nation of Israel, that's the time to run. Don't go back into the house. Don't don't get your favorite stuffed animal. Run. Run for your life. The spirit of the Antichrist is duplicity in its nature. It's hypocrisy. Say one thing to seduce them into thinking this. The fact is, is they will not have any peace and safety. 
especially as he begins hunting people down. But we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you've taught us and you know, brought to light and, and what is important in our life. And Lord, I just pray that we would begin to understand that the wisdom that is here in your word, very specifically in regards to how we are to love one another according to your example, to walk according to the way that you did, that, Lord, our life would be representative of the light that you're shining forth in our lives through your word. That we would be a light that is not hid. That we would be a light, Lord, that's from you and not from ourselves or from anything else. But, Lord, we would clearly demonstrate our love for you, our care for you, our faith in you, our trust in you, our obedience to you. That the world would see it. And the world would ask, why? And we can speak of what you have done for us. Thank you again for those that are here this evening. I pray, Lord, you take us home safely tonight. Pray you just continue to be with us through this week, that we would think on the messages as we read our Bibles and we study daily, that, Lord, you would just continue to reveal yourself and your will to us, the knowledge of who you are and what you desire for our lives. And, Lord, that you would just use us mightily throughout this week to be a witness to you. And may we have an opportunity to tell somebody about your salvation that you freely give. Thank you again for all you've done for us. This I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.